Welcome to Adventures in DevOps. Uh, my name is Scott Nixon, and with me this week are Charles Wood and Oleg Chunikin. Say hello, everybody. Yeah, hello. Hey. <laughs> awesome. Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood, and I just launched my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. It's up on Amazon. We self-published it. I would love your support. If you want to go check it out, you can find it there, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Have a good one. Max out. So, uh, all right. So, Oleg, we, um, you uh, are the CTO of Kubler, and uh, you're here to talk about uh, Kubernetes and, and um, lots of all the fun things around infrastructure abstraction. And, and I'll let you just kind of introduce yourself. And if Chuck, if you want to introduce yourself as well, go ahead. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Uh, yes. Uh, as you correctly pointed, I'm CTO at uh, Kubler. Uh, Kubler is a company that uh, develops a enterprise Kubernetes management solution. And uh, essentially, uh, it, it's built around an idea that uh, Kubernetes won sort of uh, container orchestration war, war for a reason. So it's, it's a great uh, abstraction layer that separates responsibilities between operations teams and uh, developers teams and uh, provides uh, so much more than just container orchestration. So I suppose that's what we're going to talk today. Cool. Nice. Chuck, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Yeah, I'm Charles Maxwood. I'm the CEO of devchat.tv, which really means that I host as many shows as I want to and then uh, tell everybody else what to do. Um, <laughs> No, I, I, I reach out to people all the time to be on the shows, to host the shows. Uh, we actually have some host openings on some of the shows. If you're interested, just reach out to me. Um, I'm also working on maxcoders.io, which is going to be a platform for developers who want to build successful careers and meaningful lives. So if you're uh, trying to find those skills they don't talk about on the other course platforms, usually we call them soft skills, but there's more to it than that. And you know, some of them are just life skills in general. That, that's what I'm focused on. So. Awesome. All right, Oleg, I guess we can, you know, start with the topic today about infrastructure abstraction. I know you have some great points that you wanted to share that, uh, that you have organized. So I'll let you just take the floor. Yeah. So, well, the idea of uh, this topic uh, came to, 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 to me essentially originally when we tried to explain uh, the place of Kubernetes in, in the ecosystem and especially in the enterprise. Um, because, uh, well, we all know there are a lot of solutions currently on the market uh, uh, related to Kubernetes. Pretty much every vendor, every company uh, established in IT uh, built something around Kubernetes. Cloud vendors, uh, um, orchestration solutions like Mesos, Docker, built Kubernetes into their solutions. And everyone has a little bit different angle on what Kubernetes is in this, uh, in their, in, in, in their, um, uh, in their solution or product. And, um, uh, we tried to think about what would be the most productive way of thinking about Kubernetes when you are essentially a CTO or CIO of a large organization or a mid-sized organization, or small organization that thinking a little bit ahead and uh, thinking about what uh, container orchestration uh, can bring them and what to prepare for. So, and um, what 
uh, we thought was a productive way of planning for uh, container orchestration platform uh, deployment in an organization is uh, well essentially trying to combine cloud native uh, benefits and still stay within the limits that your enterprise sort of requirements and your enterprise application nature puts uh, on, on, on your stack. So uh, one of the way of thinking about Kubernetes and container orchestration would be to look at it as an, an infrastructure abstraction layer. So essentially uh, you as an enterprise want to reap the benefits of uh, cloud migration. At the same time, you want to keep uh, flexible to be able to use uh, infrastructure provided by different vendors. Uh, at the same time, you don't want to rebuild your applications every time when you want to use another service from another cloud, cloud provider, or you want to migrate from Amazon to Azure. And at the same time, you don't want to uh, adjust too much your uh, governance and operational sort of uh, components and harness uh, to every cloud vendor or infrastructure vendor stack uh, that you start using. Uh, you want to stay open and uh, there is nothing better than uh, Kubernetes for that as a basis for, 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 for a solution or architecture like that. Because you can rely, uh, you can essentially run Kubernetes on pretty much any infrastructure. You can run pretty much any uh, managed or middleware service on top of Kubernetes. And by middleware service, I mean uh, services that you are now nowadays used to see as managed services uh, in cloud providers, uh, um, stacks like uh, databases, managed databases, for example, or managed file storage systems or uh, various ingress traffic management systems, et cetera, et cetera, or let's say uh, messaging or uh, ESB systems. So all that uh, can run on top of Kubernetes and what's even better, uh, Kubernetes uh, solves a number of operational concerns uh, around managing those services. So it becomes... Can I, can I stop you for a minute? Well, I, oh, sure. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's all good. It's, it's just uh, I'm, I'm trying to kind of break, break the ideas apart, if that makes sense. Uh -huh. and, and I feel like we've gotten like three or four here, and I want to make sure that, that we understand them right, and then we can talk through mm -hmm. them on the show and that way you know people can get their heads around it so um i mean it, it what it sounds like you're essentially i mean you're advocating for kubernetes which makes sense i mean you can, mm -hmm. like you said you can run it on pretty much any linux machine and you also mentioned that you you know you don't want to have to change it up too much in order to run it on one cloud platform versus another but what it almost sounds like you're advocating is that developers run Kubernetes locally or in some kind of local, uh, on some local server, and then uh, essentially orchestrate their architecture so that it, you know, you, you can see what it does or what it will do in production. Is, is, that, is that a summary? And how does that actually work if that is? 
Yeah, you're right. So this is one of the ideas. So first of all, Kubernetes is a great portability layer for developers. If you develop your application for, for Kubernetes, um, you can then run it um, pretty much anywhere, uh, as long as you don't tie yourself too much to um, cloud provider and specific uh, managed services. So uh, you have, or we have very, very, very lightweight ways of running Kubernetes on developer's machine for DF environment, like Kind, for example, and Kubernetes in the Docker. Uh, so you can just develop for this. So it, it is not more resource uh, hungry than just your average Docker container. And then deploy the package you developed onto Kubernetes on Azure, onto Kubernetes on AWS, or onto Kubernetes running in your own data center. So that's one of the ideas. So uh, in a sense, uh, Kubernetes hides from you uh, differences in, 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 in the infrastructure. Okay. So if, you know, if, if I decide, okay, well, this makes sense, right? I'm going to, I'm going to set things up so that it orchestrates through uh, Kubernetes and, um, you know, so I'm going to set up a machine that runs it. What do you recommend then to, to run it in a lightweight way? Cause I mean, I'm trying to imagine running it on my, uh, like my work laptop or, you know, my work desktop and, you know, I'm wondering if it even has enough resources to run, you know, if I have four or five, six services all running in different containers. In, in, in some cases, it won't be enough, right? You will, you will have to have a separate DF environment, probably in, in the cloud, if, if your application is, is, is that uh, heavy, uh, essentially, even in development uh, mode. Uh, although um, very often, more often than not, I would say you, you, can, you could uh, uh, split it into components that are lightweight enough to, to run within a single machine. And uh, um, so what also uh, is good with Kubernetes is that you can also, if, if it's designed in a cloud-native way, uh, when all your dependencies can also be represented as containers, uh, you can pretty much have uh, the whole development environment running on your laptop. Just think about uh, replacing S3 with Minio, which can, which is lightweight enough to run on on a small machine. Even uh, think about I don't know running a CF for file storage if if for some reason your application uh, relies on dynamic volume allocation and requires file system or, or or just use your local disk for for file storage you can run mysql for database yeah i i don't think that uh resources is 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 a problem in, in most cases for different environment but but if it is uh you can just bring up a kubernetes cluster in aws and develop against that um, if you need more resources. Um, but uh, what's more important from portability standpoint is that you can bring the same Kubernetes cluster in Azure then. And uh, so if, if, if for some reason your IT strategy changed for your company and you want to use Azure instead of Amazon, for example, because Amazon becomes too prominent in retail business. Or uh, if for some reason you uh, want to put parts of your application into data center because 
some of the government's requirement, requirements or um, compliance requirements changed. Moving between different Kubernetes clusters in different environments is much easier than uh, moving between completely different infrastructures. Right. One, one thing that I'm wondering there, because one thing that I found is, for example, if I'm using, let's say, Linux distributions, right? Um, mm -hmm. If I specialize on one, I tend to get mileage out of it, right? And a lot of the clusters out there like uh, Google Cloud Platform or um, AWS or Azure, um, yeah, they, they have their quirks. And if you build to their quirks, then moving, you have to basically unwind that, right? And move, move out to uh, kind of a, an agnostic standard or, you know, add in whatever you're going to need to move it to AWS or GCP or Oracle Cloud or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but how often does that happen, right? Is this a concern that I really need to worry about? Or is this something that, you know, well, if I wind up having to move off of Azure or off of AWS, it, I'll just take the hit at the time. You know, wh mm -hmm. when is it worth the trade-off to go vanilla Kubernetes? Or is, is there not much of a trade-off to do that? Um, that's actually a great point. So rarely, it's rarely worth it. Uh, uh, but I'll, I'll try to turn it around a little bit because uh, um, it's, it's, it's less about uh, taking a hit when you migrate. Uh, it's more about being able to support multiple environments at the same time. So even if you are in a single cloud, uh, your uh, development and debugging may be uh, a bit more productive if you can run locally. Uh, and that's already different environments. Uh, but in most cases, uh, companies, especially larger enterprises, have a lot of legacy software and no environments that are not going to go away anytime soon, like mainframes running in the data centers, uh, uh, accompanied with uh, more modern hardware. And uh, some of them uh, still stay like that because they're not going to migrate overnight. Uh, it requires time and money. Uh, mm -hmm. Others will stay like that because it's governance, because they just are not allowed to run anything in, in the cloud, but they still want to be as agile as you could be in the cloud mm -hmm. using cloud native architectures. And uh, development teams uh, more more and more often put pressure on, uh, on IT management, on uh, IT operations teams for to, 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 to migrate to newer uh, technologies to this modern, uh, fashionable cloud media stack. That makes sense. We've been recording Ruby Rogue since 2011, and we've talked to a lot of people who have had a really deep influence, not only on the programming community, but also on the Ruby community. And as we've talked to these people, it's become apparent to me that we talk a lot about the things that make them interesting that they've done, but we don't really get into how they got into programming or how they came up in their career, how they got to be the person who invented whatever library or, or technique that they came on the show to talk about. And so I put together a show where we actually highlight these things. We talk to them about how they got into programming. We talk to them about how they got into Ruby, maybe how they got into Rails. We get a little bit deep into what makes them tick and why they are the way they are. And then we talk about what they're working on. We talk about the things that make them well-known or make them interesting. 
And a lot of times, it's the stuff that goes beyond the code that really makes these people tick and makes them the kind of people that we want to hear about. And so I put together a show called My Ruby Story. You can find it at myrubystory.com. And it's where I interview these people and just get the stories of these people and how they came into programming. So if you want to hear inspirational stories or get ideas on how you can actually advance your career, then go check it out at myrubystory.com. Scott, you have a lot more experience with a lot of this than I do. Does this line up with your experience or? Um, so one of the questions I was specifically thinking about was, um, and I, I've, I've not experienced this directly around Kubernetes, but like I've experienced where I've had clients that were, it was almost like a kind of pillar requirement that they wanted to be kind of possibly be cloud independent, meaning that they did not want to like use, you know, say an AWS service that is specific to AWS. So they wanted to be able to just move things around. And I'm, I'm, it sounds kind of like, like that a lot of the things that you're saying, it's, I don't know if you're experiencing this as well, but this is driving a lot of the core requirements that maybe is coming down from like top management that, that people need the ability to kind of move um, between these different environments really easily. Is that, you know, can you ex kind of address that a little bit? I'm curious. Yes, yes. I think I, I think this push comes from, from two directions, actually. You're right. So uh, uh, on one hand, yeah, developers want to be more agile, more convenient tools, and uh, operations want to be able to deliver quicker and more reliably. Uh, management at the same time wants safety and security, and uh, that's several uh, vectors that uh, come together and sometimes seemingly they conflict uh, because uh, those enterprise environment uh, requirements. And when you look at uh, cloud native uh, stack and how cloud native uh, architectures are built, uh, it seems that it, it is not compatible with those uh, enterprise uh, sort of very hard, um, inflexible framework. Uh, <clears throat> so at the same time, uh, if you can build your sort of Kubernetes platform into that framework uh, and make sure that with governance and uh, uh, operational requirements are built around Kubernetes uh, as container orchestration and management, your developers can deal with it uh, essentially in almost the same way as they are used to deal with Kubernetes and container orchestration in, in, in more essentially allowing and open uh, less restrictive environments. So um, they can have the same flexibility and uh, agility. Okay. All right. Are there some other points that you were that you wanted in particular like discuss? I know we uh, kind of like started diving in with questions, and it may have gotten you a little off track. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, what one what one uh, thing that I wanted to maybe uh, emphasize is uh, that we 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 focused a little bit more on uh, portability that Kubernetes brings. Um, uh, but another thing related to that is that uh, not only your applications, uh, custom applications that you build, uh, mission-critical business containers, uh, become more portable, uh, but uh, what's, what, 
what's interesting, you can uh, use that to uh, provide uh, reliable and portable middleware services. And Minio is a very simple example. So like you don't have uh, S3 API in, in Azure, uh, but you can host it yourself and uh, using Minio running on top of Kubernetes. And uh, with, with, with Kubernetes, it becomes much more feasible to do so. It's still an overhead. It's still, uh, I, I would recommend um, again more often than not to use a managed service if you can. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, sometimes in the short term perspective, instead of rewriting your application, you might be better off uh, running Minio on Azure or in your data center to replace S3, for example. Another example is... What, what was uh, that solution that you were recommending we run? Well, Minio, it's an open source, uh, essentially distributed file storage project. Right. They provide S3 API, they, they provide application, essentially very, very... Um, uh, right. Similar okay. set of capabilities as S3. Okay. Um, uh, another example is Rook and Ceph. So Ceph, you know, is an open source uh, distributed file storage system uh, uh, supported, um, well, uh, led by uh, Red Hat, um, uh, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and Rook is a, a Kubernetes operator that manages Ceph clusters uh, running uh, on, on Kubernetes. And again, so if you can afford, or if you can use a, a, a managed uh, file storage system, you are better off doing that. Uh, but if you have particular requirements that uh, this storage system cannot uh, implement, Ceph and Rook make it much more feasible running Again, portable um, cloud-native uh, storage solution uh, that does not depend on any specific cloud vendor. And with CF, you can do uh, things like, for example, same EBS or EFS on Amazon cannot do or any other cloud-specific uh, uh, storage system cannot do like running Safe clusters that replicate data from region to region or even from cloud to cloud or from cloud to your data center or back for failover, for backups, for um, data access optimization, for example. Uh, so some things that otherwise you would have to rely on some uh, essentially vendors that provide you with closed source solution, which will only work with, with that specific event. <clears throat> okay, gotcha. You know, I'm curious. So, you know, a lot of these open source tools that are, you know, that you kind of mentioned, you know, like, I guess one of the challenges is that, you know, like maybe you have trouble finding, getting support for them, or you have trouble, um, you know, maybe you encounter some kind of bug or they have limited features and those types of things. And, you know, like, is there, you know, is there a good, is there a good avenues for people to, to get help or to, you know, is that something that your organization gets involved in at all? Or are you guys mm -hmm. mostly just providing software? Yeah. So that's, that's one concern that you always need to take into account. That's uh, absolutely true. Uh, again, uh, and uh, I, I repeat it again. So if you, if you can use a managed service, Mm. Use a managed service. Yeah. Uh, but if your requirements are such that 
um, managed service cannot provide some of them. Uh, Kubernetes and uh, container orchestration makes it much more feasible to uh, build such a solution and maintain it. And at the same time, yes, there are, of course, uh, vendors that provide uh, solutions like that, uh, either support for open source solution like CF, uh you can you can help with red hat mm -hmm. or i am pretty sure there are uh, a number of other uh, organizations mm -hmm. that can support it or there are vendors that build uh, uh, solutions in the same sort of vein and philosophy like uh, for example cloud native storage systems uh, are well represented by uh, portworks if you're looking for commercial solution uh, it's again a, a, a startup which built uh, cloud native, uh, but yeah, it's well established, mature enough startup which built a cloud native storage uh, product uh, that can do essentially the same as say, say, same set of functionality as uh, Chef and Druk and anything you can expect from mature cloud native storage system. Um, it runs on top of Kubernetes, and again, in a sense, you you're still running some uh, vendor-supported solution, uh, uh, but it does not depend on, 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 on cloud infrastructure now. So you, you, you are free at least from, 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 from cloud vendors, in a sense. Other examples may be Yubbyte uh, or Mongo. Mongo, you, have, you can have both uh, um, free uh, essentially solution running run by yourself you can have support for mongo it's, it's plenty uh, out there or you can just work with uh, mongo and buy their commercial product and run it on top of kubernetes uh, okay. or yugabyte is another example like that okay also distinct mm -hmm. database <clears throat> You made uh, kind of reference into the summary about a layered architectural approach helping kind of future-proof an organization within their Kubernetes strategy. Could you kind of explain that a little more? I'm kind of interested to learn more about what your thoughts are. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, it's 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 essentially a uh, uh, growth out of comparing different approaches to how uh, Kubernetes-based solution is built. So essentially one way of building kubernetes solution and that's what we are trying to pursue kubler is to try to build uh, so uh, I, let, let me call it operational harness around kubernetes essentially a number of tools uh, components uh, interface uh, control center for kubernetes uh, but uh, make sure that kubernetes it deploys is upstream conformant compliant kubernetes cluster and stop where uh, uh, essentially we go sort of beyond what kubernetes can provide so when we are talking about for example cloud native storage solution it is not kubernetes there are a number of solutions that are already available and uh, uh, can provide this functionality so it's not sort of first step for us although uh, at some point, uh, we are adding also sort of features that can be deployed separately on top of Kubernetes clusters that provide this or that functionality. 
Uh, another approach is to build tightly integrated <coughs> stack, which is which may have Kubernetes inside as an engine, uh, which may be based on top uh, uh, on Kubernetes, uh, but modifies essentially some of the Kubernetes concepts uh, significantly enough so that it can be considered already um, not even a distribution, but somewhat modified version of Kubernetes. And this is what we can see, for example, uh, in OpenShift. And this also makes sense from one perspective because OpenShift started as a path. Uh, essentially, OpenShift 1 was a platform as a service with proprietary APIs and formats and packages, etc., etc. And at some point, uh, Red Hat realized that Kubernetes provides significant uh, set of features implemented in OpenShift, and they essentially replaced core and engine in OpenShift pass with Kubernetes. So now what OpenShift is, uh, it is a compatible to some degree Kubernetes solution, which provides a lot of uh, opinionated, essentially integrated features uh, that allow you to manage application lifecycle. And that's what OpenShift is focused on. And that's great uh, for quick start because you don't have to separately learn Kubernetes and then decide which CI-CD tools you want to write, run on top of Kubernetes and then build CI-CD pipelines for your applications uh, because you already have it uh, as a part of OpenShift. You just run OpenShift and you have a the right way of building, deploying, and running application on top of that. Downside of this approach is that, of course, uh, at some point, it may start limiting you. Uh, and at some point, some of the uh, development groups uh, may uh, be more comfortable with uh, other tools that they want to use for their application development in the area. Back when functional programming was making its resurgence, I found it really interesting that a lot of people were moving over there and it almost felt like it was on hype. And I didn't really understand the power of functional programming until I learned Elixir. Elixir is a functional programming language. It's built on the Erlang virtual machine. And it really does some interesting things and makes you build apps in a different way. But what's really fascinating about it is the speed of the applications, the ability to distribute work easily, and just how it manages the functional programming and all of the nice things about it so that you don't have to worry about side effects and a lot of the other things that come out of functional programming. Plus, pattern matching in Elixir is a killer feature. If you're looking for a new language that you want to learn that is going to make a difference for you and give you the opportunity to challenge some of your thinking and find a new way of doing it, Elixir is a great way to go. And we have a podcast now on Elixir called Elixir Mix. And you can find that at elixirmix.com. So and, and in that sense, uh, yeah, to your original question, so. Uh, uh, architectural layering helps you, uh, us at least, uh, um, keep this openness and make sure that we don't stand in the way of Kubernetes and we don't modify it. So essentially, when you plan uh, container orchestration platform for your enterprise, uh, if you think just in terms of layer separation, uh, let Kubernetes do what it does best, container orchestration, and build on top of that, uh, uh, put CI CD component, which runs on top of that, put uh, 
databases or data storage components, put your applications on top of Kubernetes, don't mix them up. So that's our preferred approach. And you're saying that, that OpenShift does kind of mix those two up and they kind of maybe get in there a little too tightly. Is that what you're saying? That's my impression. Again, I'm not saying that it's uh, that one way is always best. Yeah. better than another. <laughs> yeah, but, totally. But, but OpenShift is definitely uh, much more about application lifecycle management and application delivery and CI/CD than 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 Kubernetes uh, by itself. <clears throat> gotcha. They've like added a lot of. They've kind of tightly integrated the the CI/CD into the mm -hmm. Kubernetes mm -hmm. stuff. And, okay, I got gotcha. you. I'm following you. Yeah, I'm not. I don't have any experience with OpenShift, so. Mm -hmm. And again, yeah, OpenShift is just one example. So as I said, every pretty much every <laughs> Kubernetes solution out there has its own angular focus. So, and uh, again, it's difficult to say, impossible and probably won't be possible to say whether there is one right way. So, hmm. yeah. Yeah. So yeah. one thing that I'm wondering about is, uh, in our prep notes, you said that you're going to discuss how a layered architectural approach will future-proof an organization's Kubernetes strategy. And mm -hmm. I'm wondering, what do you mean by a layered architectural approach? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it kind of yeah helps us bring everything together. So uh, by layered, I mean uh, you have um, infrastructure layer. That's where you get your sort of raw resources, compute, network, uh, storage and uh, that may be your data center, that may be multiple data center origins in one or several clouds. Uh, treat them as uh, raw resources. That's compute, that's storage, that's network. Now, uh, on top of that, you have a layer of uh, container orchestration. And uh, so container engine and uh, orchestrator and Kubernetes is great at that. Again, keep it, um, run it on top of your different infrastructure providers. Uh, keep it sort of uh, separate from higher um, level layers that are your CI CD, your potential storage, your databases, uh, uh, messaging, uh, and then again, next layer is your essentially uh, custom application, something that you build yourself and you run for yourself. Uh, that because each layer is separate, not tightly integrated, at least conceptually into any other, they can develop uh, and um, get new capabilities over time relatively independently. So okay. um, your Kubernetes follows open source Kubernetes development. Uh, today it's 1.12, tomorrow it's 1.13, gets new capabilities over time. But higher level, uh, being able to run on top of Kubernetes, yeah. uh, any Kubernetes can can, can can develop at its own pace, essentially. Is, are there some specific challenges that you think people should know about when you're trying to go from, say, one pro 
you know, one platform to the next, you know, even if you're running multiple at the same time, I'm just, you know, if you start on AWS and want to move to GCP, you know, how does, you know, are there some things that you have to be concerned about or look at? Uh, yeah, <laughs> well, there are, there are lots of them. Um, and again, so from my perspective, uh, in my experience, uh, keeping again, uh, concerns and layers separate allows you to eat this elephant piece by piece, uh, uh, rather than have all those problems uh, at once. Uh, instead of migrating from, uh, for example, uh, Google Kubernetes engine, GKE, or not migrating, but trying to run your application on one hand, on GKE, on the other hand, on uh, Kubernetes built from scratch, running in your data center, which may differ in versions, which may differ in uh, settings, uh, features available, uh, enabled, et cetera, et cetera. You can uh, solve essentially problems of incompatibility first for Kubernetes layer. So make sure that you have a Kubernetes deployment that uh, is more or less uh, in unified, uniform way can be deployed on top of compute resources in the Google Cloud, in, in your data center, in your AWS. And then having already some of the differences eliminated by this Kubernetes abstraction layer, you can develop uh, uh, or move applications uh, and higher level services essentially uh, with less problem, uh, with, with fewer problems essentially. Uh, but yeah, specific specific issues, of course, uh, can gotcha. include differences in how, how network works, <laughs> how yeah. different overlay providers can work, how storage behaves, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, and of course, yeah. SLAs and, yeah. But in Kubler's meant to make it easy that, or to assist in making this process between those yeah. a lot easier, right? So yeah, my idea of Kubler is exactly to uh, focus on uh, these two layers, infrastructure and Kubernetes, and deliver some sort of unified, uniform Kubernetes deployment on top of wide set of uh, infrastructures, mm -hmm. uh, accompanied with a number of uh, operational uh, capabilities, again, working in, in a uniform way across different environments. It's like log collection, metrics collection, uh, alerting, uh, uh, integration with identity management, so things like that. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Well, I, this has been really, really interesting and fascinating. Um, is, there some, is there any other kind of like wrap up points that you'd like to make before we kind of move on to picks? Well, I'm kind of curious real quick with Kubler. Um, is there a place people can go check it out? Oh, yes, yes, you can. absolutely. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah, on our website, uh, it's kubler.com. Uh, I think this... Yeah. Uh, just, just drop it in the chat and we will put it into the show notes. Yes, yes. So on our website, you can just get uh, information about how to run Kubler and container on your machine. And it will give you an overview and demo of what Kubler can do. You can, from that uh, container... You essentially can deploy full-blown Kubler uh, installation in, in any of the cloud environments you own or on-prem and uh, uh, play with that uh, without limitations uh, for non-production use, essentially. Okay, wonderful. Mm -hmm. 
Well, um, we also always like to kind of wrap up every episode by kind of just giving our audience like a suggested pick. Um, And uh, so, you know, everybody can, I'll I'll go ahead and go first, Um, you know, and so, you know, this is, this is probably a really popular book. I I love to make book recommendations, but uh, I've really enjoyed Sapiens. Um, I've had to keep checking it out from the library as it's a long book and it takes me a long, it's taken me a long time to get through it. And uh, so that, I think that's a really great book that just kind of covers a lot of like, you know, the progress of humanity. And so it just gives like, it, it, it's, it's funny cause it's, I find it really hard to like give it like a, a clear explanation of what actually it is because it's just covering like, <laughs> you know, like the growth of humans and technology. And I feel like it's kind of going back and forth all the time. It's super it's fun. Harari. I'm sorry. Is it Harari? The author. Uh, Harari? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I think, I just think it's a fantastic book. Um, the other recommendation I'm going to make, um, you know, um, Nell often makes, uh, she's made a lot of like note taking apps. Uh, I, I've been a big fan of using Ulysses and it's something that, you know, I can write it and mark down. It's really easy to export. Um, it syncs really well. I think it's really affordable um, as well. And so that's, that's, those are my two picks, Ulysses and Sapiens. So, and Chuck, do you want to do some picks? Yeah, absolutely. It's funny because, uh, yeah, both of those sound really, really interesting. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to pick trying out whatever Scott just said. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of been a long week here. Um, lots going on. And uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I've kind of picked this on a few shows this week. But uh, um, so yeah, so it's kind of been a long week. There's been a lot going on. Um, so I'm going to shout out a few things. One is, is that we've had a few spots on some of the shows that we've been trying to fill, including this one, actually, for, for a little bit. See if we can get a few more uh, hosts, you know, get a little bit more conversation and a little less interview into the shows. So if you're interested in being on any of the shows, that would be great. I currently have openings on Adventures in DevOps, Adventures in .NET, Adventures in Blockchain, Sustain Our Software, JavaScript Jabber. I think I'm going to have full. Um, I think I have a spot on Ruby Rogues and Views on View. I have I have a few spots open. So um, yeah, and I think yeah, I had two people that got busy and had to pull out of React Roundup too a few weeks ago. So mm-hmm. anyway, all of that to say, um, the shows are still going, and we have solid people on them. But yeah, I like having a conversation of a handful of people for the episodes. I yeah. think they, they go well and we get a nice mix of experience levels or experience levels with the technology, at least even if we have, you know, highly qualified people. So yeah, so I'm going to shout out about that. Just email me, chuck at devchat.tv. Um, I'm also working on pulling together a Python show, a machine learning show. So if you're interested in being on any of those, yeah, same deal. Cool. Um, in fact, this might actually, this episode may come out around the same time the machine learning show comes out. Um, I'm, I'm going to go full on, uh, self promoting since, since we're talking about podcast network and stuff like that. I've had a few people reach out to me and ask how they can donate to the shows. So I'm working on getting information, uh, up. I think if you go to devchat.tv slash support, um, it'll, you know, it'll tell you how you can send money over Venmo or PayPal or something like that. Um, I've had a few people talk to me about Patreon, so we'll see if that works out and open collective. Um, so I'm kind of playing with the ideas there. The, the shows are ad supported, but you know, if you've been listening to this show for a while, the ads have been, Hey, go listen to one of the other devchat.tv shows just because we're still getting established and we don't have that strong base that the advertisers like. And I'm a little bit choosy. If I don't like the tool, then I won't let them advertise. And that's just me. 
Um, and maybe, maybe that's insane, but that's just the way I am. If I don't think it's going to help people or I think it's a pain in the butt to use, then I'm going to tell them no. So yeah, it's been a little bit tricky to get the right kind of sponsor on. Um, so yeah, so if you, if you want to help support the show or some of the other shows, I'd appreciate that as well. And then the last one is um, I just kind of had a little bit of downtime over the weekend. Um, actually went and spent some time with a bunch of guys that I talk to every week and kind of live life with every week. We all live in different parts of the country, but we get on a call every week and, and chat. And that was so productive and so kind of healing. And so I'm going to pick that as well. And yeah, those are my picks. Cool. Thank you, Chuck. Oleg, do you have a pick for the audience? Oh, well, I've, I, I, actually, it's a, a good uh, addition to the book you suggested, um, The Age of Spiritual Machines, uh, Kurzweil. You probably heard about that. I read that already and check it out. Uh, it's a very optimistic book about how intelligence develops. I suppose it, 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 it continues very well, Sapien. You said it, what's the name of it again? Sorry. Uh, the, the Age of Spiritual Machines. And the Age I'll of send, Spiritual Machines. Uh, I'll send the link. Cool. Very nice. Yeah, Ray Kerr as well. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I got you. Very nice. Yeah. He, his stuff's always interesting. Sometimes I'm a little bit skeptical, but it's usually extremely well thought out. So mm -hmm. I have to at least go, okay, wh why am I reacting to this? And <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. 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 yeah, I think uh, Fukuyama readings are also uh, in in the line with those authors we discussed. Uh, some people may be interested to check him out as well. <laughs> yeah, very nice. Well, cool, guys. Thank you very much. And thank you for tuning in for another episode of uh, Adventures in DevOps. Thank you. Hey, thank you. Right. Yep. Everybody max out. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.